0: Chapter 11 The Other Man of Plain Tales from the Hills This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris Plain Tales from the Hills by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter 11 The Other Man When the earth was sick, and the skies were gray, and the woods were rotted with rain, the dead man rode through the autumn day to visit his love again. An old ballad. Far back in the seventies, before they built any public offices in Simla, and the broad road round Jacko lived in a pigeonhole in the P.W.D. Hubbles, her parents made Miss Gory marry Colonel Schreidling. He could not have been much more than thirty-five years her senior, and as he lived on two hundred rupees a month and had money of his own, he was well off. He belonged to good people, and suffered in the cold weather from lung complaints. In the hot weather he dangled on the brink of heat apoplexy, but it never quite killed him. Understand, I do not blame Schreidling. He was a good husband, according to his lights, and his temper only failed him when he was being nursed, which was some seventeen days in each month. He was almost generous to his wife about money matters, and that, for him, was a concession. Still Mrs. Schreidling was not happy. They married her when she was this side of twenty, and had given all her poor little heart to another man. I have forgotten his name, but we will call him the Other Man. He had no money, no prospects, he was not even good-looking, and I think he was in the commissariat or transport. But in spite of all these things she loved him very madly, and there was some sort of an engagement between the two. When Schreiderling appeared and told Mrs. Gory that he wished to marry her daughter, Then the other engagement was broken off, washed away by Mrs. Gorey's tears, for that lady governed her house by weeping over disobedience to her authority, and the lack of reverence she received in her old age. The daughter did not take after her mother, she never cried, not even at the wedding. The other man bore his loss quietly, and was transferred to as bad a station as he could find. Perhaps the climate consoled him, he suffered from intermittent fever, and— That may have distracted him from his other trouble. He was weak about the heart, also, both ways. One of the valves was affected, and the fever made it worse. This showed itself later on. Then many months passed, and Mrs. Schreiderling took to being ill. She did not pine away like people in story-books, but she seemed to pick up every form of illness that went about a station, from simple fever upwards. She was never more than ordinarily pretty at the best of times, and the illness made her ugly. Schreiderling said so. He prided himself on speaking his mind. When she ceased being pretty, he left her to her own devices, and went back to the lairs of his bachelorhood. She used to trot up and down Simla Mall in a forlorn sort of way, with a grey Tarai hat well on the back of her head, and a shocking bad saddle under her. Schreiderling's generosity stopped at the horse. He said that any saddle would do for a woman as nervous as Mrs. Schreiterling. She never was asked to dance because she did not dance well, and she was so dull and uninteresting that her box very seldom had any cards in it. Schreiterling said that if he had known that she was going to be such a scarecrow after her marriage he would never have married her. He always prided himself on speaking his mind, did Schreiterling. He left her at Simla one August and went down to his regiment. Then she revived a little, but she never recovered her looks. I found out at the club that the other man is coming up sick, very sick, on an off chance of recovery. The fever in the heart-valves had nearly killed him. She knew that, too, and she knew—what I have no interest in knowing—when he was coming up. I suppose he wrote to tell her. They had not seen each other since a month before the wedding, and here comes the unpleasant part of the story. A late call kept me down at the Dovedell Hotel till dusk one evening. Mrs. Schreiderling had been flitting up and down the mall all afternoon in the rain. Coming up along the cart-road a Tonga passed me, and my pony, tired with standing so long, set off at a canter. Just by the road down to the Tonga office Mrs. Schreiderling, dripping from head to foot, was waiting for the Tonga. I turned uphill, as the Tonga was no affair of mine, and just then she began to shriek. I went back at once and saw, under the Tonga office lamps, Mrs. Schreiderling kneeling in the wet road by the back seat of the newly arrived Tonga, screaming hideously. Then she fell face down in the dirt as I came up. Sitting in the back seat, very square and firm, with one hand on the awning stanchion and the wet pouring off his hat and moustache, was the other man, dead. The sixty-mile uphill jolt had been too much for his valve, I suppose. The Tonga driver said, the sahib died two stages out of Solon, therefore I tied him with a rope, lest he should fall out by the way, and so came to Simla. Will the sahib give me Bakshish? It, pointing to the other man, should have given me one rupee. The other man sat with a grin on his face, as if he enjoyed the joke of his arrival, and Mrs. Shrideling, in the mud, began to groan. There was no one except us four in the office, and it was raining heavily. The first thing was to take Mrs. Schreidling home, and the second was to prevent her name from being mixed up with the affair. The Tonga driver received five rupees to find a bizarre rickshaw for Mrs. Schreidling. He was to tell the Tonga babu afterward of the other man, and the babu was to make such arrangements as seemed best. Mrs. Schreidling was carried into the shed out of the rain, and for three-quarters of an hour we two waited for the rickshaw. The other man was left exactly as he had arrived. Mrs. Schreiderling would do everything but cry, which might have helped her. She tried to scream as soon as her senses came back, and then she began praying for the other man's soul. Had she not been as honest as the day, she would have prayed for her own soul, too. I waited to hear her do this, but she did not. Then I tried to get some of the mud off her habit. Lastly, the rickshaw came, and I got her away, partly by force. It was a terrible business from beginning to end, but most of all when the rickshaw had to squeeze between the wall and the tonga, and she saw by the lamplight that thin yellow hand grasping the awning stanchion. She was taken home just as everyone was going to a dance at the viceregal lodge, Peterhof it was then, and the doctor found that she had fallen from a horse, that I had picked her up at the back of the jackal, and really deserved great credit for the prompt manner in which I had secured medical aid. She did not die. Men of Schreiderling's stamp marry women who don't die easily. They live and grow ugly. She never told of her one meeting since her marriage with the other man, and when the chill and cough following the exposure of that evening allowed her abroad, she never by word or sign alluded to having met me by the Tonga office. Perhaps she never knew. She was to trot up and down the mall on that shocking bad saddle, looking as if she expected to meet someone round the corner every minute. Two years afterward, she went home and died. At Bournemouth, I think. Schreiderling, when he grew maudlin at mess, used to talk about my poor dear wife. He always set great store on speaking his mind, did Schreiderling? End of chapter 11. The Other Man. Recording by Mike Harris.